0: Sticks of dynamite, shootings, murders, mayhem. This is a special episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast, where I'm a guest on the very popular Things Police See podcast with Stephen Gold. I think you'll enjoy it. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. Download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders, because at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. Under programs, you'll find details about Shatterproof. This is Things Police See. 1st and accounts. With your host, Steve Gold.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the podcast that interviews active and retired police officers about their most intense, bizarre, and sometimes humorous moments on the job. I'm Steve Gould. I'm your host, as the gentleman said. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Excited uh, excited to be here on to e- episode number 97, if you can believe that big nine seven I want to thank everybody recently for the, um, the rating and reviewing on iTunes those continue to grow they're important because they help to get eyes on the show I, uh, I truly appreciate that I want to do right on right off the top here I want to do a roll call for the faithful listeners who helped the show keep the lights on keep the uh, the ship afloat talking about Jeremy Woods, Tony Fahey, Jacob Ruth, Rich Emery, William James Long, that's Deputy William James Long to you, Samantha Harper, the great Gary Steiner, Richard Wilson, Scott O'Donnell, the magnificent David Diaz, and Timothy Wright. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you. I'm in love with you. You guys, you guys are awesome. And I got to tell you, this list, although it hasn't grown too much over the last six months, uh, has been very faithful, so I... I I really appreciate that, guys. I even had a little break in there. Um, It's really awesome, uh, and I I truly, truly appreciate you. Right now, we have um, ad space open on the podcast. We just finished up with Hero Inc., who's an awesome company. Um, So if you're interested in contacting or advertising the show, it's uh, steve at thingspleasec.com, or you can go to the website thingspleasec.com and contact me there. Um, I think that's pretty much for the... Well, one other thing I want to say is... uh, there is a Facebook group. I never, I don't mention it enough, but there's a Facebook group. If you want to go over there and join, it's kind of a good way to stay, uh, current with the show, see what's going on, because we are doing, uh, once every couple, three weeks, we're doing a Cops in the News live. So it gives us an opportunity to interact with you guys. It goes up on the podcast, but if you want to join the conversation, uh, with Ken and I, you can do that on Facebook. So go join that group if you're interested at all. So without further ado, um, got a great, great guest today. I actually started, uh, I reached out to him about a month ago to see if he'd be interested in coming on. He was, which uh, I was thrilled. It's uh, John J. Wiley. He's a retired Baltimore PD, retired sergeant. Uh, He's also the host of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. We're we're in the same space uh, doing a similar thing, although he is uh, simulcast over 80-plus stations. He's uh, really killing it, and um, I'm just excited to have him. I'm going to get some stories out of him, and I really... I'm really interested on hearing his journey into broadcasting. I know one thing um, cops are always talking about is, what will I do after this, or what would I do if I quit being a cop? (laughs) It's like a very popular thing, especially nowadays. So without further ado, let me bring on the great John J. Wiley. John! Pleasure to be
0: here with you, Steve. Appreciate it so much.
1: Oh, man, great to have you, brother. Appreciate it. Uh, You've been such a help, even just in the last month, John is, he knows what he's doing. He's a professional broadcaster. Uh, I reached out to him and asked him to be a guest. And almost immediately, John started asking you how to um, better my show. <laughs> so it, it's, it's really appreciated uh, what you do. You're on Clubhouse, which is this app I didn't even know about. Um, and it's, it's super interesting, John. Well, it's kind of like a room, like an audio room. And you can go into and it's kind of experts in your field, whatever you're interested in, kind of congregate there and talk. And you're you're kind of one of the guys. Um, since I've joined, you're you're always in a room or part of a room as a speaker, so it's great. And uh, I I love this app. It's a free app, by the way. If you don't have it, uh,
0: just a clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. And you know, they have got Let Radio and Podcast Club, and I want to start having clubs and rooms where cops and other first responders can meet and their family members and. You know, we can restrict it so other people can't get there, and we can talk about whatever. Uh, Because sometimes it's easy to feel like you're all alone when you work in this career. You know, when I was policing in Baltimore, and when I knew, when I was on the job, I knew what to do. I knew my role. I knew how to handle myself. I knew all those things. It's when I got hurt and retired and went home and had nothing to do that all the skeletons, all the the ghosts started to appear. Uh, so quite often people work, they do their shift, they go home. Some of them are single. They've had failed relationships, whatever it might be. And it's easy to go into really, really dark thinking. So I think Clubhouse can be a great tool for all of us to use.
1: That's awesome, John. Um, can you touch on how you, I mean, I have the questions I want to ask you. I want to hear your stories, but I'm super interested in how you got into broadcasting from from police work. <laughs>
0: Well, I'd I, I love to tell you, it's a long story. Um, there's a couple wrinkles to it. Number one, I was hurt and retired young. I got into a fight over my service revolver. That's how long ago it was, trying to arrest a car thief. I uh, had a bunch of uh, crack cocaine as well. And over fighting over the gun, he wound up getting a hold of it while I was still in my hand. I was trying to reholster it. And we went up fighting, firing all, all six rounds. Fortunately, neither one us were hit. And he was arrested. And I thought I sprained my wrist. And I had multiple surgeries on my right hand. I'm right-handed a steel plate fusing the base of my right thumb. Then my total wrist was fused and a couple other surgeries. I was retired at the age of 33. And so I started thinking, what do you do now? You know, what kind of, what do I do when I grow up now? All I know is policing, <laughs> you know, and that's all I thought I was good at. And, uh, I, I did the sales route. I did other things. I didn't really like it. And I began in the early days what we now consider podcasting. Uh, I did a recorded show using a, an old, microphone i bought secondhand refurbished and cool edit and uh, i put up an mp3 version of the show on a website and it was called biker bros and it was a, a motorcycle lifestyle thing where we focused on events around daytona and put it on a website with mp3 script and people downloaded it and then i started really falling in love with it but i'll go back to i was walking a flip post one day i was a young patrolman and here's two real stories that happened I walked in his barbershop shop in this neighborhood and said, Hey, how are y'all doing? Nice to meet you. I'm Officer Wiley. I was on loan that that section section of um, the district. And one of the guys walked in, he goes, heard me talk to you, he goes, Man, you got a great voice. You could be selling Afro Sheen and all kinds of products on our radio. <laughs> we need to get you on it. I never forgot that conversation. Second story is the way our our department's set up we had the dispatches downtown. Uh, so you'd have each sector would be divided into a, an area, Northwest, Western, and and Northern with one area. So when I worked midnight shift, if we had to go down to get reports or whatever might be, we were always taught to call the dispatchers. Do you need coffee, you need anything, whatever it might be. Uh-huh. We need coffee, get this, this, and this. So I stop at the convenience store, get the coffee, I drive down there, I get buzzed in to the dispatch area. And the, the, the dispatcher looked at me and said, like, what can I do for you? I went, I'm 635 unit. I got coffee for you. And all of a sudden, she went slack-jawed. I mean, it's like her jaw hit the floor. Uh, like the scene from uh, Christmas Carol where Bob Marley, the ghost of Marley, he unstraps the thing and his right. jaw falls. And I'm like, what's the matter? She goes, well, i, I got to be honest with you. We thought you were black because you sound just like <laughs> Mary White. And it turns out you're very white. And from that point <laughs> on, I was called very white. Anytime there's a bad call, like decomposing oh. body, whatever it was, they hey, hey very, how you doing? How's things going? Said, oh, <laughs> Where's the stinker at? And uh so That's any funny. bad call, they always prompted with that.
1: That's awesome. That's a long story short. <laughs> I love it. So John, would you say um had you had you always thought of radio, or was that guy saying that about your voice kind of got your mind going on it
0: i had a love affair with radio when i was a kid and it turns out i'm not the only one there's several retired police across the united states who are uh, fm music jocks and, and i've been full-time fm music jock for about 18 years uh, specializing in classic rock or triple a type stations alternative box stations and i'm currently i do middays in the florida keys at a radio station in key west and my honor name is ripley there are several police that went into this field like in their thirties and forties and are very good at it. And here's a couple of reasons why we're used to operating under pressure. Right. We're used to operating under stress. And like one of my radio bosses say, I don't want to stress you out. You got to do this spot again. I'm like, look, dude, no one's shooting at me. This is not a big right. deal. It's not life or death. It's radio. Um, so it's entertaining and little things like trying to help people avoid, delays and accidents and uh, fires or whatever it might be that's part of our nature so I think it's a natural transition and I've fallen in love with radio since I was a little kid
1: yeah that's it's funny you say that about the <clears throat> um, the pressure because I'm I took a little break from police work a uh, little bit of a walkabout in the country um, was in Southern California I did like a, a desk job and um, I remember saying to my wife after a year I said the weirdest thing is I've not had like an adrenaline drop in a year I've I've not because your tolerance for it goes higher when you're a cop. So, you know, you're not responding to people screaming and bloody and help me and all this stuff. You're just like anything that comes up is just kind of like mellow. You know, it's like it was a it was a very peaceful feeling. Absolutely, I tell people
0: jokingly and it's half jokingly. I think I miss being shot at. I miss being in gunfights because part of me loved it. Loved the adrenaline afterwards. I didn't like the fear afterwards, but when all that went away and it's just you and it's routine, it's mundane day in, day out, there's a big fall off for a lot of people. And I was one of them and it was huge drop off. And I really didn't know do myself. And I was bored to tears.
1: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You go to a call, it's stress or it's high, it's high stress for those, you know, moments and in it, it can be scary, but later when you, somehow your brain, when you look back on it and you're talking about it, it was exciting and you liked it. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's funny how your brain does that. I sometimes wonder, how did I make it
0: out? And and, and the reason I say that, I'm not saying this to be sarcastic or, or funny. So many good police that I knew that were killed or were severely maimed, you know, I'm physically disabled, but I, I'm able to do a lot of things, but so many people that were really, really good at what they did, didn't make it. And I'm one of the ones that didn't. And, and I really don't know why sometimes. And I guess it's best just not to think too long about it because what's the old thing about you, you staring the abyss too long. It'll stare back at you right. and, and it gets a little creepy sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, in, in my worldview, it's, uh, God had a plan for your vocation and he wasn't through with you yet. So, so here you are, help helping me. <laughs> or maybe I'm not ready
0: for that yet. That might be it too. He's like, right. he's not so sure he's ready for me yet. <laughs> I've got some mellowing
1: out to do. <laughs> Absolutely. So, John, can you tell us about now? This was, I'm going to ask you to tell you your first, the first time you like had a hot call and your adrenaline got going. And this was Baltimore in the 80s, right? Yeah,
0: 1980s. Um, and I, look, there was field training we went through and. I'm sure there were times with that, that, you know, as a young patrolman you, or a police officer, we use those terms inter, uh, interchangeably. You really didn't know what you're doing, but you always had someone to rely on. And my first really hot call, first two things, actually, uh, was in sector two of the Northwest District. And my very first call for service was for a burglary. And it was an area we call way down in the hole. And back then, they gave you a little carbon copy of a map and your battery for your radio. And when shift change came up, they pulled him in the car, you changed the batteries, they gave you the radio, you took your thing and you started getting calls. I never made it to the first call. I never could find it. To this day, I don't think I can find that address. Even with GPS, I don't think it would happen. <laughs> uh but the very first hot call I had uh, that, that comes to mind is I got a call for a shooting and I was probably twenty-two Oh wow, you seem young. I was by myself. It was midnight shift, and I'm driving into the end of the street in a residential area, the northwest district of Baltimore. And there's a lot of woods. And I get there, and there's like four or five young men. I'm like sixteen, seventeen, and they're carrying one of their their buddies, and he'd been shot in like the left half of his chest with a uh, close range with a shotgun. And this was my first experience with someone that had been traumatically injured. And I could tell even that being green, a real rookie, I could tell that Apod was gonna make it. Uh, and when you get the call, the first thing is, okay, what I gotta do, I don't wanna mess up. I don't wanna be that guy right at the academy that screws things up, and God forbid the sergeant has to come down there and correct you and tell you to do things, or the senior officers. I wanna get everything right, so I'm thinking, number one, don't wreck the car. Don't hit anything on the way down there. Right. Uh, get down there, protect the crime scene, do all that stuff, make the notifications and go along. And then I found out later on that the, the young guy uh, died and there wasn't anything I could do about it to begin with, but somewhere I wanted to be, I wanted to be that guy that came in, you know, ripped his shirt open. There's a super S right there and you're right. save the day, save his life and I'll make everything Right. And they're not able to do any of that. Um, they eventually arrested someone. And I'll be honest with you, so long ago, I don't recall what happened to them. There was a time I remembered all that stuff. And I'll be honest with you, Steve, I've gotten really good at forgetting a lot of names and incidents because there's things I really don't want to remember anymore. And I think that would be one of the many, many homicides that I don't want to recall.
1: Yeah, I can't blame you. It's funny when, um, when, the, when my podcast started over at LAPD um, at the lunch table so many of the guys that had been, had so many traumatic stories like that. Um, they didn't think they had any stories to tell. They're like, I don't really, I don't know. I, I mean, I didn't, yeah, you know, I didn't solve any giant crimes. I don't remember, remember much, of, you know, I'll have to think about it. And then um, they listened to the podcast a few times when they came back to me and they are like, I have like a dozen stories I can tell you. I'm like, I'm sure you yeah. have five times that many stories, but yeah, I think it just, you know, like your brain blots it out just for your own sanity.
0: There comes a point where, um, you know, I've been I've been retired now 30 years. I got retired at very young, 33. So uh, I, my wife knows that the nightmares are nowhere near as frequent as they used to be. They're nowhere near as intense, but they still pop up. And uh, sometimes they're directly related to incidents, but most of the time they're not. They're very indirect. And, you know, I, I accept the fact that I'm dinged up physically mentally and that's okay Uh, a lot of my guests on my show will say that you know i'm damaged goods but i'm okay if you watch nascar for example quite often the car that wins the race has duct tape and stuff all over it and it's you got fenders hanging off just because it's damaged and dinged and dented doesn't mean it's worthless that car can still run so old guys like me uh, I say guys, that means men and women, old police like us, we may be dang dinged up and damaged goods, but we can still run. We can still perform.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you just jarred my memory there. I, I was, um, talking to my wife a while ago about, uh, just police salaries and, um, and, uh, and how they, you know, they want to get rid of qualified immunity, all this stuff they want to do to the police to, to hurt them. And, um, if you ever looked at the statistics of like how long most cops live after they retire, it's so saddening. It's like, you know, it's seven and a half years after 50 or something like that. Um, not for everybody. My father retired a Lieutenant and he's 75. He's great. But like you, he retired and he, he did something like he's got stuff to do. He's staying busy. He's not, um, you know, not, not chasing that adrenaline dump or whatever. Um, but, a lot of a lot of cops, men and women out there who retired, they just they don't make it. They they drop dead. You know, that's, that's unfortunately weird. a lot of
0: them drink themselves to death. They they get bored, um, yep. then they go to the bar every day and seeking companionship. Their relationships are ruined. They they're not. They isolate and they don't want to be around people and all the things that we all deal with. Uh, I had to make a decision a long time ago get sober and stay sober. And I've been sober 30 years. And I, I'm the guy. I'm not a vegetarian. I'm not a pescatarian. I'm not a one of those things. Uh, but I watch what I eat. I go to bed around the same time. I tell people I might be the biggest square you'll ever meet in radio. And I'm quite all right with that. I'm totally yeah. okay with that. Because the older I get, the longer I want to be around. And life is really getting good. Um, so what you do, what I do talking into a microphone, preparing a show is something anybody in this line of work can do. Um, cause we're pretty good at adapting. We're pretty good at filling up air with, uh, things to say. Um, and I'm going to an example. We're also good salespeople really don't, we don't realize, but we've been selling options to people for a long time. Absolutely. You know, look, you can go enjoy your weekend, go away for the evening, or you can get hauled off to jail with me. It's your choice um and and by the way if you want to fight uh, i'll just call for help and there'll be 50 fat angry police here ready to thump on you so it's your choice Uh, but that's sales 101 that's not complicated so radio is a great outlet and i gotta find something to do if i sit around with nothing to do i'm gonna start thinking and i'll start thinking about stuff in the past and things that that were not good and worry about the future and all those things and that's just not a there's an old saying, my mind is like a really, really bad neighborhood. I don't want to go there by myself. Um, I went there for a long time, and there's places you and I wouldn't go without backup, and we should not go in our brains without backup, period.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's so true what you said about the retiring. The um, So many cops retire, and they it's almost like the job was keeping them sober because they had that those hours to go to. They were drinking outside a lot. But um, as soon as they shed that, they retired. It's like now cocktail hours. Why wait till five? Or why I I'm on days off permanently, and they just drink every day all day. So I I I've seen that. I know exactly what you're talking about, which is a which is a shame. Good for you for getting sober and um staying clear minded and you know killing it out there. That's that's the best thing you could do. Absolutely. Um, John, can you tell us about the strangest or most bizarre thing you dealt with on the job?
0: There's actually so many stories I think about. Um, and, and when I originally saw this question, Steve, I started thinking, well, I don't really want to go down memory lane and tell, I could tell you stories about being on domestic calls where, uh, my side partner opened up a closet door and he found the dog, the family dog hung, uh, from like killed by the one of the spouses people stabbing each other over leading the family prayer at thanksgiving things that that are so bizarre or say hey officer you want to sit down a little bit and there's so many cockroaches running over the chair you wouldn't dare sit down um but people were many many people were very very civil and they and they didn't want you to be there but they realized you had to be there for whatever reason and I started thinking okay so what can I tell you and when i got promoted to sergeant i got moved to central district. Uh, and in that area, we had an area called the block, which is real famous for strip clubs, gentlemen clubs, or whatever you want to call them, exotic dank dancers. And I was acting lieutenant one night. So part of my responsibilities was to make sure that the block was clear and no one was getting in trouble and, and show my face periodically. As I was walking down the street. I saw a, a young woman turned out to be an, an exotic dancer that's the term they use, I don't know what they call them nowadays. Uh, She's, I locked my keys out of my car. So she showed me her ID and um, I could see the keys and it was an old Camaro Z28. So I knew how to get in, I got into the car and I just wanted to check the registration to make sure it matched up with her license before I gave her the keys, make sure it's the right person. I open up the glove box and I'm wearing an eight point cap is what we used to call them. right? Back in the day, we had to wear a hat every time we are out of the car. I opened up a glove department, and there's three sticks of dynamite taped together with a fuse. And I reacted, and I hit the T-top with my head, almost knocked myself out, and knocked the the, the the hat right off my head, turned around, and I wound up getting, you know, reestablished. And I wound up locking around. Remember, what are you doing? What, what do you have dynamite in your car for? She goes, oh, it's not. It's road flares. I use that to scare people. Well, I said, mission accomplished, because you got me. <laughs> You know, uh, and she's dressed up in her exotic dancer attire, and I'm walking her down the street to get, get arrested and processed for that. So it's the little things you think. There's an old saying, complacency kills in police work. You mm-hmm. would never, I never in my life thought I would see that in someone's car. And, look, there are, people do crazy things. So they would design something that looks like sticks of dynamite. They can shake out the window of people going on the interstate to scare them. Okay, now I get it. Back then, I didn't get it at all.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's. I mean, I can't. I've never worked in a city the size of Baltimore or with the population like Baltimore, the high crime areas. Um, I feel like it would be. I feel like you would quickly lose faith in humanity. Going just just call after call in a city like that, um, like you said, with the cockroaches and the dog murder, and then the prostitutes, and then the murder murders, the shootings. Um, it's crazy that that guys even do a uh, people can do a like a thirty year career in that in those circumstances. I don't know how they do it.
0: When when I was on there, we we supposed we're we were supposed to have like three thousand police. The population in Baltimore in the nineteen eighties was, and I'm estimate it was right around eight hundred eighty thousand, and we averaged right around three hundred murders a year. Last time I checked, the population in Baltimore is like 660,000. They're about 500 officers short, and their murders are 300 a year. Whoa. So even though their population has dropped by about 200,000, their murder rates the same. We had shootings, Steve, literally multiple times a shift in our sector alone. And there's nine districts in, in the, the, the city. So we had two sectors in our, our district that were really hot and that were really hot. Uh, the lower end of Sector 3, the, the all of Sector 1, and about a half of Sector 2 are really, really hot. And you could go from uh, undelivered mail, parking complaint, uh, water in the basement, a bat in the house, which I had to deal with as a rookie police, right. uh, to handling three shootings in a row. Um, rapes, murders, you never knew what you're going to get. Um, and sometimes in summer, we would have literally we get our car shift change and you'd have eight calls backed up and the entire sector, the entire district was down. And we went by mentality that if I, if you had to come on my post to handle my calls, your post was abandoned. And so someone had to handle calls in your post. And next, you know, people are coming into our sector from other sectors. Next thing you know, after that, People from other districts are coming to our, our district to handle calls. And as a matter of pride, we wouldn't let that happen. So we would stack them up. And there were times where you went call to call to call and there had no backup available, even though there was a guy, a man or woman, a mile away from you. They were doing the same thing.
1: That's crazy. And in the 80s, they were probably doing you guys doing handwritten reports then. Oh, yeah. Handwritten
0: reports in hand, right in triplicate. And uh, they had the automatic copy. So you'd, and then you write it all down. With well, your chicken scratch notes, he'd write, jump from call to call, give them to your sergeant in the ship. He said, he made a mistake and hand it back to you. Or he'd rip it up and hand it back to you. Right, like, oh. whole thing over again. The staff review, not going to approve this. And it, um, here, here's a quick story. We'll move to the next point. I was working in operations, and my sergeant's name was Bob. And he was a good guy. Um, he had a habit of picking his nose a lot, so we made fun of him about that. But I had an armed robbery arrest from a fast food restaurant and I, I, I walked in a report. He goes, you, you forgot a victim's name. I'm like, Oh my goodness. So I said, I'll go back it is a by mile the way. I'll go back and get it. He says to me as I'm leaving, whatever you do, go there, get the information and come right back. Don't do anything else. That was his words. This is what Bob said to me. I'm pulled out of the parking lot of the chicken joint. And guess what happens? Three stolen cars go by me and I could not, not go after them just couldn't do it they went in different directions next thing you know i had five stolen car arrests an armed robbery arrest and a really really angry sergeant like you can't follow the simplest directions um but that was the way it was it wasn't just me it's the, that's the way it was for everybody
1: yeah i went to um i went to academy with a guy um a bunch of guys that it was a regional academy so some went to the city some of us went out um, to the town some people went out to the sticks but um i, rem- I ended in the Bumped me into one of my buddies, um, sergeants at a firearms instructor recertification. And he was the guy, he, he ended up being an ass kicker, like a great cop, a great cop to have. But now, I mean, they want a they want reports on everything, like computer reports written and for data so the admin can have numbers to crunch and get money and budget. And it's important to have the info. So he was telling me, he's like, man, he's like, he's, He's a great cop and he's the guy you want there on like an armed robbery or, a, a, a you know, domestic or whatever. But he goes, the lieutenant tracked me down the other night and said, uh, you need to sit down and do some reports with uh, one of your patrolmen. He goes, oh, how many reports is he behind? He goes, uh, over 50. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, over 50 reports. Because that's one thing we heard like when we were, when I started in early 2000s in law enforcement, the guys that were retiring were were kind of like the good, the good old days of policing where they didn't, they weren't, um, if you did a report, it was like, you know, a a couple lines or the big stuff got, got reports, but little stuff, they didn't have to do it. So they were kind of like happy to be leaving, leaving the computer age, and or yeah, leaving the way things were going. Um, so that's interesting. So John, can you tell us about your most, um, intense or terrifying call that you went on?
0: Uh, there's, there's actually a couple. Um very briefly I, I, I did this every now and then on the show. I don't I don't know details about me. I was in four shootings in ten years. Uh, and the first I fire fired back and it's a couple of calls and arresting a guy who's a drunk and disorderly caught me with a broken glass and smoke inhalation a couple of times from rescuing people from houses. that were on fire. But the last two shootings really got to me, um, and and one in particular, I'll, I'll never forget this guy's name, and I'd love to forget it. his name is uh, Garfield Dundee Tinkler. We get a call for Baltimore County, which is a jurisdiction outside of us, had a murder, armed robbery of a commercial establishment, murder of the owner, and he took the uh, the victim's Corvette. And I was a sergeant, and I was driving with another sergeant, in a brand new police car, the lieutenant's car, and he's like, "Whatever you do, again." Don't wreck the car. Uh, so when the call came out, being a lookout for this car and it was a burgundy Corvette with a convertible top. And so they found it just outside of our district in a neighboring district. And I pulled into a school parking lot at the end of a one way street. There's only one way out. And I, I said to them, cause I worked stolen cars for a long time. If you can pop the hood and pull the coil wire so they can't start it, they get in the car, they can't start it. Apparently they didn't have time. Within a moment or two later, the guy came back, got in the car, and it sounded like a Stephen King-type movie. He came around the corner. There was burning rubber. There was noise. There was gunshots. It was hitting parked cars. I pull out in my Chevy Caprice, the old one, and I've got my blue lights on, and there's no way for this guy to go. There's one way, and it's I'm blocking it. Um, and he starts firing out the, the window, the driver's window, with a, a semi-automatic forty-five. And hits the Caprice head on, and it was enough to buckle my door. I had a hard time opening it. He bails out, is running on my side behind the car, and he's firing shots. And my partner, a guy named Jim, I could hear him in the, in the background saying something, almost like a TV in another room. You don't understand what he's saying. I'm so focused on this guy. I reach over, I kick the door open. I start chasing him, and I get into a gunfight with the guy. And I, I came the realization that I'd fired four of the six shots in my revolver. I'm in the middle of the street. I got no cover, no concealment, no nothing. And I don't know if I've hit him, if I've hit ducks, I don't know what I've hit, but he's trying to reload that, that 45 Mm. and he's stumbling with it. So I decided I'd run up and, and tackle him, which I did. I didn't realize that he was stumbling because I'd shot him in the wrist and he couldn't quite make it work. Um, and immediately afterwards, you know, the, the emergency vehicle unit came up. Uh, they had this cell phone in there, you know, it was built into the vehicle. I called my wife and said, you'll see this on the news. I'm okay. Um, and she was furious um, and not in a bad way. She was scared because I'd been through a lot of stuff before and I knew what was coming down the pike. Once I got done with her, I started throwing up and and it took a long time. As a matter of fact, A few months ago, I was driving down South Florida. I'm one of those guys who lives in Florida now. And a guy makes a U-turn in front of me in a Corvette, same color, with same color top. And I'm had one of those moments. And it's Mm. like, it brought it right back. And I quickly realized it was the wrong year, wrong model. And by the way, I'm in Florida, the same Baltimore. And it's not 30 years ago, whatever it was, 20-some-odd years ago. Right. So that was one. That was pretty hairy. And the other one was the one that ended my career. And long story short, I was following a vehicle. And I called it in. And the dispatcher said, is there someone in that car? Which, when you say that, because we didn't have the in-car computers, that means it's stolen. Yeah. And he was reaching around for stuff. So I followed him. It wasn't a chase. It wasn't any stuff. He wrecked. And I wound up getting him out of the car. And I had my revolver in my right hand and him on the ground. And I was trying to holster my revolver. And cuff him. At which time he took me and him off the ground, and I was six foot, two hundred ten pounds, benching about three hundred at a time. I, I was pretty good shape. He was screaming at the top of his lungs, and a fight ensued. And I hit the guy with everything I had, and it didn't phase him. Next, thing you know, he had a hold of my gun, was on my hand, and we're firing shots off. Oh! And it's turned towards my face, and I'm trying to avoid. I had the thought in my mind, Steve: this guy was trying to kill me, and I was going to die. But I knew deep down that, that I was going to die, but it wasn't going to be that night, and it wasn't going to be because of him. And in that moment, I was prepared to do whatever it took to survive. The old saying, we hear people saying academies and in-service training, all that stuff, never give up the fight, stay in a fight. Mm-hmm. At that moment, I made the decision, and I'm sure I was screaming. I'm sure I was sounding weird, uncool, not like Clint Eastwood, none of that stuff. I'm sure it was not... My best moment. But I survived. He was arrested. He got 10 years. I'm sure he probably did, two, the way Baltimore is and Maryland is. Um, and then I thought I sprained my wrist. Long story short, multiple surgeries, sealed place, and, and I was retired. It was over.
1: Wow. That's crazy, man. That is that is intense. That one would give me nightmares for sure. Barrel of a gun. Well, for a long time, I'd
0: fall asleep. And you know the area where you're falling asleep? Yes. Right before you – I'd hear gunshots right next to my head and it's almost like a jolt of electricity through my head and it jumped me right out of bed. And it's like, Oh, here we go. It's going to be a long time falling asleep. Um, and that would happen sometimes once a week, sometimes once every two weeks. Uh, but it happened for quite a while. Thank goodness it doesn't happen very often anymore. It's been a couple of years.
1: Yeah. Thank goodness. Indeed. Um, when you retired from there, did you, did you stay in the Baltimore area long or did you get out of there? I would have said, hey, see you later.
0: I went to Southern Maryland, which is about two hours south of there, and that was still too close, because uh, I had to go to Baltimore to see the police physician and all this other stuff, um, the lawyers and all that, and I I just, too, there's too many reminders, too many physical reminders, so I eventually, about 97, uh, moved to Florida after my marriage failed, and started a new life down here, got into radio, which took me out of out of southern maryland, uh, south florida into north florida back to southern maryland for a few years uh and back here to the keys in, in south florida so um it's been a long journey but now that we're here my wife and i say we we enjoy the taxes the politics and the lack of winter we're not leaving unlike you we're not going to have snow ever ever again in our lives
1: we're not enjoying any of those things we have high taxes it's freezing half of the year <laughs> come
0: on down to Florida we'll make room for you there's plenty of room
1: believe you me I have thought about it because my in-laws live down there um on the gulf side south gulf side um I can't remember the biggest city there near um maybe near Clearwater is that would that be right
0: Clearwater Sarasota Tampa that area yeah outside
1: yeah. there somewhere and it's like gorgeous it's it's unbelievable
0: I'm in I'm in the southeast side I'm in uh, Palm Beach County so We call this, I call this area South York, Adelphia. So it's it's like (laughs) New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Boston. uh, And then you go to the West coast of Florida and it's Chicago, Detroit. uh, Everybody comes on I-75 and settles in that area. So it's, it's a totally different world. And then you go to North Florida and you're in the deep South. Yeah. I mean, it's like really, really, it's like Alabama up there.
1: Yeah. I have cousins that live in North Florida and they, you know, they're they're southern folks for sure they you know one of them competes in with his mutter truck and after supper they'll take you out by the swamp and shoot old um fire extinguishers that he collected from his job <laughs>
0: that- yeah I, I when i got to, to do a morning show in, in north florida in lake city florida uh i was meeting some guy and having a cup of coffee he looks me and he goes you know you're new you're the the radio guy I'm like yeah yeah he goes you want to go hog hunting with me i'm like I don't think I want to do that. I've seen you know, the south of Georgia lines and all that stuff and all those deliverance is the first thing I thought of. I was
1: like, no, I'll pass on that. Thank you. You just started hearing a banjo. the banjo, and I'm <laughs> paddle faster. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> oh, man, that's tough, John. Um, retiring or getting retired medically that young, I hope that they kept the cost of living and percentages up for you because that's a long-ass time to be retired on a policeman's salary. I mean, obviously, you're working. It's good, but...
0: yeah, I couldn't afford not to work. Um, When I retired, immediately, my health insurance tripled. So, it became a third of my pension. Uh, And I know officers in wheelchairs that can't work uh, that have the same position as me. And we had to fight the city in court for years to get our cost of living allowances. And and literally, it took years. I mean, a decade. Uh, So, everything in that city that we have to get, we have to fight tooth and nail to get, um, because the city will not take care of us. And I, Exhausting. I, you know, the young police that come in there, I love them. God bless them. I pray for them, but I tell them, if you think things are bad as an active duty police in a city like Baltimore, wait till you retire and find out how little they really care about you.
1: Yeah. It's, isn't it terrible? My, a friend of mine's, um, grandfather was a trooper in Massachusetts for like 40 years and he retired and he'd, when I first started in the early 2000s, he had been retired for like 35 years and his pension was 8 grand. So, yeah, it's a shame. They went into the state house and the the spam the state police union actually got it taken care of where he went from 8,000 to like 32,000 overnight. But for years, it's like poverty level. Like he's got he's the guy's in his late 80s and he's got no money coming and thankfully he had, you know, Um, Some social security quarters or whatever, but it was just, I I don't know. You always hear like people are always um, coveting police benefits, you know, but it's not like that when you leave, they're not taking care of you like that.
0: We were told, and I'm sure you heard this too, that from day one in the Academy, if something bad happens to you, we got your back, we'll take care of you. And we're family. And we are. And I'm, I'm not anti-police. Uh, they did the best they could. Right. The minute it gets into the, the accountants and bean counters and uh, workers' compensation insurance, don't get me started on those clowns, the minute it gets in their hands, you are a number. Uh, and there's nothing the agency can do for you. I've had people on my show. I had a deputy who was shot multiple times, almost killed by a serial rapist uh, in Texas, in a small department in Texas. He retired on Social Security. He lost everything, lost his house, lost his house. Oh, um, uh, a, a sergeant in Oklahoma was shot on a SWAT call-out with a three hundred eight rifle, lost the use of most of his arm, was fired. A, a lieutenant in Oklahoma was shot in the forehead by a murder suspect, chasing him, wrecked his patrol car. He was given a Social Security pension. Uh, so there are a lot of people out there. And my wife and I, we, we joke all the time, especially around elections. We'll hear these commercials about you know, these evil corporations and how they don't take care of their people. That's why you need to vote for so and so. And we always say, yeah, the biggest offenders are our cities, our counties, our state governments, and our federal governments as well for not taking care of their people. Their first responders are law enforcement, those people, military. Tell me, they don't get taken care of the way they should.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. It really is. Um, John. Can you, um, can you tell us about, uh, if this, if this exists in Baltimore, can you tell me about a heartwarming encounter?
0: Yeah, there, there were plenty. Um, when I got assigned a post, that was like the big thing. And, uh, I remember when I got my first nickname and that meant you arrived and people got to know you and they'd invite you to their backyard cookouts. Even people you've had confrontations with and arrested before. It wasn't always negative, uh, but on rare occasions on the summertime and uh, Saturday mornings for it got busy, we'd have a chance to hang out with neighborhood kids. They're playing and I'm a, I'm a hairy guy and we'd have our short sleeve shirts on and the window down, arm out the window talking to them and they'd rub my arm and when they're talking to you. And it's such a nice thing to get to hang out with kids, um, and, and get to know them. That was one of the upsides. The downsides, I think we've talked about this as I've been on scene when some of those kids five years later were shot and killed and took yeah. their last breaths because um, they got in the drug game and they shorted their dealer. It wasn't competition that got them. It wasn't a rip-off artist. It was their own dealer that got them because they were short on the count too many times. Um, and sometimes you, that really pleasant part is you you hope that you can do something really, really good for these people, but then you realize you can't. You know, you do the best you can. That's all you can do.
1: Yeah. You got to take those little victories and, and cherish them. Cause yeah, like you said there, I've heard so many stories like that about, um, city youth, um, like 13 years old, stone cold killer, no moral compass, just will straight up murder somebody if told to do so by the drug dealer. You know, that's, um, like I was saying before, that's, uh, that's why the burnout rate's so high in the big cities. You know, it's just, it's hard for people to stomach a career that. Um, so John, I don't know how heartwarming that was, but it was kind of heartwarming. <laughs> well, parts of it are really
0: good. I think, I think of the good times and yeah. that's why I try to, when I think about policing, I, I think of the, the men and women I worked with, they were phenomenal people. The practical jokes we played on each other. We used to have mace battles where I oh. mean, he's kind of dev, He's may he's, he rest in peace. And you know, when someone decided they didn't want to get out of the car, to traffic stop, it's done. no problem. You know, I, I'm going to arrest you one way or the other you're getting out of this car, uh, we just lean against the car door and spray the mace and the vent in front of the windshield, and they'd eventually come out. Well, I did that to my patrolman side partner's car, and he's driving down the street, a roll call, right, shift change, crying out the window. <laughs> I'll get you, but he always got me. But I, I remember those times, and there's lots of really, really good times. And there's lots of really good times with the people that in our communities. They weren't all bad. The vast majority weren't bad. The vast majority were hardworking folks sure. that – they had bad situations going on, um, but would, would give you their last dollar. They were the best of the best. They just, they, they, they drove the short end of the stick and had to live in a really bad neighborhood.
1: Yeah. I heard that a lot from um, guys who worked in South LA and East LA uh, when it was really, really bad. And South LA is really bad now, but um, same thing for them. And especially if they were, if they did not grow up there themselves, they got exposed to it. And um, one detective, I, who's a friend of mine, Davis Scoto, said in one of the interviews, he said, you know, they're, it's all good people. He said, it's like, it really is. It's like, it's like anything else. There's a small percentage of people that are violent and scary dudes. And those are the ones you deal with when you're there. And there's more of them there. But he said, you know, 95% of the people I met, like in the neighborhoods, just good people, just trying to avoid the trouble. You know, they, they, yeah. they don't want to live there. They believe me. They don't, they want to go somewhere else. They want to raise their families in safety, their kids are getting killed. You know, it's, um, it's really true. And I've heard that uh, a few times now. So John, one of our, one of our big, uh, or one of the biggest questions I have here, or most popular answers, I should say to this question um, is advice for new police officers for candidates. Cause there's a lot of people in police Academy now, or thinking about doing it, who kind of listen to all the episodes of this podcast and they used it to, to get pumped up, get excited about the job, and they really love what guys like you uh, can tell them about it and what maybe they could use to prepare.
0: Well, first of all, I, I love police work. Uh, some of the best people I've met in my life were police, and uh, I will never, ever apologize for for defending them, ever. Um, so when you go into police work, don't let the negativity get you down. And there's certain things you can do. Um, first of all, your honor, and your integrity means everything. So once you, once you violate that, those two things, there's no coming back from that. So no matter what it is, don't ever violate your personal honor and your integrity. Secondly, uh, treat everybody with respect until they change the tone of the conversation. Uh, we've, we've talked about this before, uh, especially in their house, in front of their friends, Treat treating respect but let people know that you're not going to be pushed around. Because they're they're watching you. And you're you're as a police officer in uniform, you're very much in a fishbowl. People see you and they will watch you. And if you let someone get away with disrespecting you, the next thing is gonna be a punch. And after that it's a knife or a gun. Uh, so be aware that you have to be firm, you have to be resolute, but be fair. The last thing I'm gonna say is this. You know, we grow up that we have a dentist and we have a family doctor and we go see them once a year for physicals and checkups and all that stuff. If you're going to get into policing, same with firefighting, dispatching, corrections officers, any of that stuff, make sure you get a psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, social worker that's trained and familiar in trauma and go see them once a year just as a proactive move that I'm doing okay uh, so they can help you stay on track and help you. It's not the it's not the big things, I feel, that get us. We've gotten really good about dealing with those. It's the daily grind yeah. that will wear you down. Uh, so go see them and, and do things like keep what you, if you have, if you're a Boy Scout leader, stay a Boy Scout leader. If you go to church every Sunday with your family, when you're off, go to church. Maintain your relationships and your friendships out of law enforcement. Don't make the mistake of making it all a smaller, smaller circle where it's just you and the cops and you against them. And next thing you know, even the the cops you worked with, they don't understand you and you wind up isolating from everybody. So stay and do those corny things. If it's camping, if it's cooking out or whatever it is, do those things uh, and maintain those relationships. They will save you in the
1: long run. Great advice. I agree a thousand percent. John, um, before we wrap up here, can you tell us a little bit more about the uh, Your radio show, Law Enforcement Today, and kind of what your message is there, and where people can find it.
0: We do something very similar to you. Um, In 2017, I I launched a podcast, knowing what I knew from radio work and and law enforcement. I really wanted to make it for uh, first responders and their spouses, uh, so we could understand and get rid of some of the stigma. And what I did was I made a deal with someone at a really big Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today, and I was posting on there organically, and someone from a radio station upstate New York, heard an episode we did, reached out to us, said, can you convert it to radio, which we did. I self-syndicated 13 stations, and we're now syndicated through Talk Media Network. We have 81 official affiliate radio stations. We broadcast weekly to about 24 million combined population. And it's one of two things. It's either cops talking about realities of doing investigations, serial killers, rapists, all those sorts of things, dealing with traumatic events, uh, telling their stories, what they went through. And about 60% of it is law enforcement officers, other first responders, military victims of crime, their family members, spouses or survivors talk about trauma. They went through how it impacted them because it's kind of universal for everybody, uh, but it's definitely going to be universal. If you're in law enforcement, you're going to deal with this one way or the other, how it impacted them and what they did to build their lives afterwards. And that seems to be, Those two stories are a winning combination. So I tell radio stations, we do for radio what investigation discovery channel does for television. Um, So one of the hardest things I've done with Steve is, I I didn't have to do with you, is I tell cops, look, don't testify like you're talking in court. Don't try to be an expert like in in service training because everybody gets bored with that. Just tell your story and make it for everybody else consumers. If we don't tell our stories who will. And by the way, we've relied on the news media for so long to tell our stories and they've butchered it. They've destroyed it. And now it's so biased it doesn't even resemble the truth. So, we need to tell our stories otherwise people have no idea.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that, that the show is great. I love your I love your radio show and your podcast. It's awesome. I listen to the podcast mostly because I'm not um I don't know if I'm near one of your affiliates or not. Do you have any in the Northeast? I don't think I, I have several
0: in the northeast i think the closest one would be in westchester new york i don't think i have one in massachusetts yet so we i know there's guys who listen in squad car at night um because i see the the downloads increasing and by the way you can find the podcast version for free it's on demand whatever you want it's almost 400 episodes you can listen when you have some downtime or troll car whoever might be i see the downloads at two between two and four in the morning is one of my busiest times yeah you tell me who else is listening dog yeah, watch so um, it's them and uh, you can listen to wherever podcasts are served. You can go to letradioshow.com You can do a Google search for Law Enforcement Today podcast, Law Enforcement Today radio show, Law Enforcement Today podcast, John J. Wiley, whatever, you'll find it.
1: Awesome. Very good. John J. Wiley, thank you for coming on the show, brother. It was a blast. Steve, I appreciate it. I'm glad we got to do
0: this. We have talked a long time ago uh, before you took your break and uh, I'm glad to see. By the way, you can Find Steve's show on our Facebook page and social media is a great way to interact and uh, ignore the haters. That's what I do. I post and go. I don't even look at the comments anymore. So if someone goes, I hate police, I'm like, yeah, I ban them or I hide them. One of the other, I don't, I don't even mess with
1: it. Yeah, absolutely. And like, like you said, it, for a long time we relied on the media, but now I think because of the humanizing the badge movement, it's become more, it's less of a um, faux pas for a police officer to kind of, speak his mind about how he feels about the job and how it's affected him. It's become kind Why of shouldn't? acceptable.
0: There's nothing to be ashamed of. Right. I, I've, I've got nothing to be ashamed of. I hold my head proud for what I did. Same with everybody else. Look, the stories about the, the, the corrupt cops to get all the headlines, all the headlines because the rest of us are not telling anybody. Right. So when you deliver a baby, no one hears about it. When you rescue people from a burning house, no one hears about it. Well, we need to change that. And by the way, for the brass, the police department, administrators, chiefs of police, everybody else, let your people talk. They can be in non Let them talk and let them tell their stories. Because if you're not telling the stories about what great police we have in this country, trust me, no one is.
1: Amen to that, brother. John, thank you so much, sir. I know you probably got to run. You got stuff going on
0: a lot of radio stuff to do
1: gotcha thank you sir and uh i will see you on clubhouse and maybe in person one of these days if i make it down to florida
0: ideal it'd be great to meet you we can always meet halfway actually you go to north florida i'll drive a couple hours north i'm not going to massachusetts
1: (laughs) can't blame you there all right sir thank you very much thanks steve appreciate it see you john guys that was episode number 97 with the great john j wiley um, what a voice! Silky, uh, not silky, uh, brassy uh, tones. I don't, I'm not good at words. Uh, anyways, awesome episode, crazy stories, um, Baltimore. It sounds like exactly how I would think um, policing in Baltimore would be totally, totally insane. Thank you for joining us. Thank you guys for listening. Please keep rating and reviewing. If you have a, a mom, a dad, a sister, a brother, mother-in-law, father-in-law, Anybody, a cousin, brother, sister, anybody who is in law enforcement that was for any amount of time that has some stories and you think they might want to be a guest, or if you yourself would like to be a guest, please reach out, steve at thingspleasesee.com. Uh, shoot me a message. Let me know. Let's, uh, let's get you on here. I have a bunch of shows in the can. Plenty of people messaging me about coming on. So uh, things are good here. Uh, the numbers are rising. I, I truly appreciate it. I mean it. If I... If there's any way this somehow could become a, a retirement gig for me or a, or a legitimate side hustle, uh, I would fully embrace that. I would, I would leave police work if, if I could pay my bills with this podcast. I like doing it that much. It really isn't like work at all. It's really fun. So thank you for joining us, guys, and I'll see you next time.
0: What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, the transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here and it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420 or online at fhehealth.com This has been a very special episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast where I was a guest on the very popular Things Police See podcast with Stephen Gould. Reminder, the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast is a nationally syndicated radio show. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do me a huge favor and tell a friend or two or three or 47 about the show. I'll be back with a regular episode in the next couple days. So until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.